This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Right now, we don't really know how big the core of Mars is, how thick its crust is, uh, what its mantle is made out of, etc. So that's what, really what, uh, what we're after in, in, in this case with, uh, with the InSight mission. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello and welcome to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Alice Lipscomb-Southwell, the production editor of BBC Focus magazine. Despite the success of missions such as Opportunity and Curiosity in exploring the surface of Mars, we still know relatively little about what's going on beneath the surface of the Red Planet. NASA's InSight mission, which is scheduled to land on the Martian surface on the 26th of November, is hoping to change all of this. Commissioning editor Jason Goodyear spoke to Bruce Bannert, the principal investigator at the InSight mission, about the project's history, its objectives, the technology it will be using, and what studying the internal structure of Mars can teach us about the formation of planets in general. Okay, so uh, we launched uh, launched the spacecraft uh, back on May 5th uh, from Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. And it's been following uh, a trajectory to Mars since then. Uh, and it's been operating just about flawlessly in space. We've had uh, really good luck with it. It's been uh, very responsive, um, no idiosyncrasies like uh, some, some spacecraft have. And uh, so we've had a very smooth ride. It's, uh, it's going to take it about six and a half months altogether together to get to, to Mars. Um, and we're uh, set to land on Mars on November 26th of this year. So uh, for those who don't know, it's going to, in total, travel something like 500 million kilometres to, to reach Mars. Is that correct? Uh, that, that, that's right. And uh, it's, uh, it's, if, if, if you actually look at the way that the, the orbits uh, line up, you know, we're actually kind of uh, moving alongside the Earth and we're just kind of going closer and closer to Mars as we kind of orbit uh, between Earth and Mars. And uh, when the orbit of the spacecraft intersects the orbit of Mars, you know, bingo, we're there. 
But uh, in the meantime, like you said, we travel a long way, about almost halfway around the sun as, as we get to Mars. And uh, when we get there, we're going to be traveling about, um, oh, what's, uh, 18, 20,000 uh, kilometers per hour when we, we hit the top of the atmosphere. And so then, then the excitement starts when we start to have to slow down. We'd like to kind of get from that point to get to kind of zero kilometers per hour when we get to the surface. So uh, that's going to be an exciting uh, six or seven minutes. Sure. So I think one of the things that certainly blows my mind, and I think um, probably a lot of our listeners too, is how on earth do you navigate remotely the, the, the lander from Earth that incredible distance? Uh, it's, it's actually, it's, it's as close as you can get to magic and still be science. Uh, so, they, they, you know, they, you see the, the, the big uh, uh, parabolic dishes, you know, out in the desert in uh, California, Spain and Australia that we use to communicate with spacecraft deep in space. And they're able to pick up the very faint radio signals from, from those spacecraft. And just by measuring the, the precise timing of those signals, uh, you know, when they arrive and the precise uh, Doppler shift, the, the frequency shift due to the velocity of the spacecraft with respect to Earth, they, they uh, track that and, and, and maintain a record of that uh, from Earth to Mars and are actually able to locate where the spacecraft is uh, within a, a matter of meters, you know, in space and its velocity to a, a, an accuracy of, of, of millimeters per second kind of accuracy. And by, by tracking that and by extrapolating it forward, we can make the very small corrections in the, 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 the trajectory using the, the very small rockets on, on, on the spacecraft to, to tweak it a little bit faster, a little bit slower, a little bit left, right, up, down. Um, of course, none of those turns actually mean anything in space, but they have the equivalent turns to, to figure out, you know, which, which direction and, and it's, it's going and which way it's pointing. And so um, by the time we get to Mars, uh, we have to hit uh, a target that's uh, about uh, 15 kilometers wide and just a, a few kilometers high at the top of the atmosphere. And um, that sounds really uh, incredibly impossible to me, but They've shown that they can do it uh, over and over again with uh, previous spacecraft. So I'm putting my faith in them for this time. Yeah. So as you say, um, when it actually arrives at Mars, it's going to be going at a fair clip. So uh, what sort of technology um, are you going to use to make sure that the landing is safe? Well, we we use about we use you know, three different. Uh, basic methods to slow the spacecraft down to, to and, and land it on the surface. First, we when we enter the atmosphere, um, the, the spacecraft is enclosed in what we call an aeroshell, which is something that completely goes around it. The front part of it is a heat shield, uh, very much like the uh, Apollo capsules uh, that uh, brought uh, the astronauts back from the moon. So when it gets to the atmosphere, uh, it just has kind of a uh, almost a, a flat shield that it hits the atmosphere with, and that gets extremely hot from the air friction, and, and some of it actually uh, burns off, ablates off of the, of the heat shield. And that slows it down from about, uh, like I said, almost 20,000 kilometers per hour down to uh, a few hundred kilometers per, or, or a few thousand kilometers per hour, at which time we uh, release a parachute. Uh, at that time, it's still going almost twice the speed of sound, so it's still going pretty fast, uh, but we have a parachute that slows it down in, in the upper atmosphere and brings it down to about uh, maybe one to two kilometers above the surface. And we have a, a radar that's kind of pinging down, uh, measuring the distance of the surface. And when we're about uh, a kilometer and a half or so above the surface, we release the parachute 
and uh, turn on our retro rockets. And then we take the last uh, kilometer or so down on the retro rockets. As we get close to the ground, we go get slower and slower. And then by the time we uh, touch down, we're hoping to be going no more than uh, five or six kilometers per hour uh, when we hit the ground, about the, the speed of a, of a quick walk when we, when we actually touch down to the ground. No, that's amazing. So um, whereabouts on Mars is, is it, are you going to land and why was that area chosen? We're landing in an area called Elysium Planitia. It's a, a very flat, broad uh, volcanic plain, uh, just about on the equator of Mars. We're only a few degrees off the equator. Um, it's actually not very far from the Curiosity landing site. We're about uh, uh, two or 300 miles uh, north of Curiosity. Um, Curiosity's down in a crater. We actually want to be in a very flat, uh, open area uh, to make our landing as safe as possible. Uh, and that's really why we, we, ch we chose it. We chose it for landing safety and for surface operations. Um, we, landing safety, we need a, a, a spot that's fairly low elevation-wise on Mars, so we have plenty of atmosphere to slow us down. Mars is a very thin atmosphere, so you need to get a lot of kind of air between you and the, and, and the ground to, to help the parachute uh, slow you down. Uh, so we need to be low, we need to be flat and uh, rock-free so that when we uh, actually touch down on the surface, we don't have any uh, obstacles or hazards that, that might uh, flip the spacecraft over. And so, and we need an area that, that, that the weather is, is, is relatively benign. We don't want uh, a place where there's a lot of winds and storms because that's obviously not a great thing to, to, to land through. And finally, we want to be able to operate this spacecraft for a long time on the surface. Uh, it's, a, it's solar powered, so we want a nice uh, uh, balmy location. So we picked uh, an equatorial region that has uh, lots of sunlight all year round. And so it turns out that if you, if you start you know, putting all those different uh, uh, constraints on it, there's very few places on Mars that we're, we're able, we're, we're actually uh, hospitable to, to our landing. And, and this turns out to be uh, actually a really good one for uh, fortunately for us. So um, you just mentioned there that um, it's going to, I understand it's going to be operational for a full Martian year, which is, that's about two Earth years. That's right. Uh, we, we, the, the, the science that we're doing, which haven't had a chance to talk about yet, but we're doing uh, seismology primarily uh, to, to probe the, the depths of Mars and to do a, a, a seismic experiment on the interior of a planet, you need to accumulate a lot of different uh, Mars quakes, a lot of different signals. And so the longer that you stay there, uh, the more of those signals that, that you can pick up. And Mars is not as active as the Earth, so we need we figured out we need at least about two years to, to get enough Mars quake signals in order to be able to, uh, to, to draw the conclusions that we need to draw about the uh, structure of the interior. Uh, that means we have to, to last not only through a Martian summer, which uh, is is uh, actually that's uh, harsh enough. That's more that's sort of like you know living uh, uh, in Antarctica, uh, but we have to uh, survive a Martian winter as well, which is really uh, challenging. And so we've designed our spacecraft to to be able to uh, survive the conditions of a full Mars year and and get the uh, the time on the surface that we need to do our science. So uh, yeah, you mentioned that one of the key instruments on board is is a seismometer. So um, can you tell me a little bit about that, how it works, and what, what you're going to be using it for? Okay, so a seismometer is, a, is an instrument that we actually uh, use very commonly on the Earth, and it measures uh, vibrations of the surface of the Earth. And those vibrations can be from all kinds of things, from, you know, if you, if you walk by, you can feel the vibrations, or if you have uh, a, a lot of wind blowing around, you feel vibrations. But the important thing to us 
are vibrations that are set up by Mars quakes, uh, which are just like earthquakes, except they happen on Mars. So on, on the Earth, if you have a, a quake, which is a sort of a, a cracking and moving, a quick you know, motion of, of the Earth's crust, it sends out uh, waves, which are similar to sound waves, but they're traveling through the rocks instead of through the air. And when those waves reach the uh, the seismometer, uh, you can you can the seismometer can sense those vibrations, and it's an extremely uh, sensitive instrument. We can actually sense vibrations that are sort of on the on the scale of uh, sort of an, an atomic radius, and so we can pick up. Uh, waves on the Earth uh, that have traveled all the way through the Earth. Uh, here in California, we we routinely pick up uh, earthquakes that have happened in in Japan, in in Southeast Asia, in in Africa, um, and these quakes uh, send out these signals that are affected by the rocks that that they travel through. So, um, just like um, when you have uh, sound waves that 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 bounce off something and give you an echo. Um, that echo tells you something about how far away that obstacle was that the that the sound waves bounced off of, and we use the same kind of techniques inside the Earth, looking at these waves as they bounce off uh, uh, boundaries such as the boundary between the uh, rocky mantle and the iron core of the Earth, and we can actually look at how they bend through the Earth. They actually refract the way uh, light waves refract through a, a lens, and we can go back and figure out what the properties of the um, of the material that it moved through, uh, what are the boundaries are, and put together sort of a with with a lot of different quake signals going through a lot of different uh, directions, we can put together a 3D uh, uh, representation of the deep interior of a planet. And so right now we don't really know how big the core of Mars is, how thick its crust is, uh, what its mantle is made out of, et cetera. So that's what really what uh, what we're after in, in, in this case with uh, with the Insight mission. Sure. So you kind of mentioned some things there, but how much do we actually know about the internal structure of Mars today? Um, well, we know that it's similar to the, the, the structure of the Earth and that we know that it has to have an iron core uh, because otherwise uh, we, we wouldn't be able to uh, match the, the density of the planet that we know from its orbital characteristics. Uh, we know that it has a, a crust uh, similar to that of the Earth um, because of the, the, the types of rocks that, that it's made out of. And we measured those uh, the, the composition of those rocks using both you know orbital spectroscopy and uh, some an analysis on, on, on the ground using uh, our rover instrumentation. Um, but we really don't know what the details of that structure are. And, and, and uh, that's sort of key to how, how the planet evolved because it starts off as, a, as sort of a uniform ball of a material that's very similar to uh, carbonaceous chondrite meteorites. Um, but then those rocks evolved. They, me they me melt and recrystallize into different forms. Uh, and so on the Earth, you know, we have a very different planet than, uh, than we have on Mars. We have a very different planet than we have on Venus. And one of the things that we want to find out or, or understand is how that how these planets evolve from very similar beginnings to very different uh, current uh, situations. And Mars is kind of a, a perfect laboratory for that because uh, on the Earth, most of the, the evidence from the very early stages of the Earth have been erased by plate tectonics, by uh, mantle convection, and, and so forth. Whereas on Mars, uh, those the early processes happen, and then 
pretty much things shut down except for a little bit of you know geologic rearranging of the of the rocks on the surface by uh, by volcanoes and, and meteorites. And so we should be able to look at the internal structure of Mars and extrapolate that to the very early structure of the Earth and understand how Earth got to be uh, a habitable planet with uh, lots of life, whereas you know Mars, Venus, and you know uh, the other planets really uh, went down different paths. Right. So by studying um, the internal structure of Mars, we can actually find out a lot more information about planetary formation in general. Yeah, that's really our goal. I mean, what we really want to do is use Mars as kind of a, a window into the into the past of the of the Earth. And so uh, our, our real goal is to better understand the planet that, that we live on. And uh, it seems kind of counterintuitive maybe to go to another planet to learn more about our planet. But in, in scientifically, you, you think of Mars as, you know, a different experiment that you can get, you know, a different set of results for. And then by looking at the differences, we can actually sort of figure out the processes uh, that 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 brought them to, to where they are today. So another of the instruments um, on board is a heat probe, which is actually going to burrow into the soil and, and take the planet's internal temperature. So what, what can we learn from taking the temperature of, of the in, inside of the planet? Well, a planet is, is, is in, in some ways, uh, as, as scientists, we think of a planet as, as a heat engine. And so, you know, all the activity that you see on, on the surface of the Earth, you know, the, the, the building of mountains, uh, uh, the, uh, the carving of, of valleys and, and canyons, uh, all that kind of activity is driven by the, this heat engine inside the planet. So um, we have uh, 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 hot rocks rising from the depths. We have cold rocks you know, sinking back down. And in the meantime, they're pushing around things on the surface that are melting uh, magmas, causing plate tectonics. And so all this kind of activity is driven by the amount of heat inside the planet. Um, one of the things we want to understand is how a planet loses its heat, um, how the Earth uh, is still uh, a very, you know, relatively hot and vigorous planet, whereas uh, uh, the Moon, Mars, are, are appear to be you know, cooler and less geologically active. We want to actually understand, you know, where Mars's heat engine is today, and again try to extrapolate that back to the uh, early formation and evolution of the planet to understand how these planets diverge, how they're similar, and, and how they're they're different, and and what makes them different. And. Uh... Kind of one of the other main instruments is called RISE, the uh, Rotation and Interior Structure Experiment. So could you tell me a little bit about how that works and what you're hoping to discover with that? Well, the way that RISE works is, is, is actually we use exactly the same techniques that we use to navigate the, the, the spacecraft between Earth and Mars, except now the spacecraft is, is a lander. It's sitting on, on the surface of Mars. So as we're, we're tracking its position, we're actually tracking the rotation of the planet. So we're watching the, the planet rotate as we're watching the the, uh, the lander move uh, with the with the uh, navigation system. And so by watching the planet move for about an hour, it, it actually uh, traces out a little bit of an arc as it rotates. And so we can then figure out where, where the north pole of Mars is pointing at, at that at that uh, instantaneous uh, point in time. And by tracking the the, the the north pole of Mars, we can actually watch it wobble. Uh, the way it up top wobbles when you when you spin it, and the wobbling of of the planet is is tied very uh, closely to the distribution of mass. You know where mass is concentrated. 
So we know most of the mass of, of a planet is concentrated in its iron core. You know, iron is about three times more dense than than uh, normal rocks are. And so by figuring out how much of that mass is concentrated toward the center, we can actually uh, figure out the size and the uh, density or, or uh, mass in the, in the core of Mars. And that's a, a key parameter for a lot of things, such as the uh, magnetic field generation, uh, for the actual, it's related to the, uh, the rate at which uh, heat can be lost from the planet because the size of the core really uh, is an important uh, boundary condition on heat loss mechanisms and on the, uh, the composition of the core because uh, whether a core is solid or liquid, which we can also determine from this wobbling, uh, is determined mostly by you know what else is dissolved in there, what other elements besides iron, such as sulfur, uh, oxygen, carbon, and so forth. And so we can actually figure out you know what the temperature of the core is by figuring out what its density is and uh, relating that to the melting temperature. So uh, the RISE experiment is really a key experiment in figuring out the, uh, the, the size and the composition of the Martian core. So there's also um, cameras on board. So I was wondering, is, do they serve any specific scientific purpose or is it just because taking pictures of the surface of Mars is really cool? Well, the, the, the main purpose we have for our cameras um, is to figure out how to put our instruments on the surface. Because when we land, uh, our seismometer and our heat flow probe are bolted onto the top of the spacecraft. And so that's not the best place to, uh, to measure you know, planetary properties. So we really need them down on the ground in the dirt. And so we have a robotic arm that can pick them up off the deck and place them on the ground within about uh, uh, two meters of the spacecraft but we need a nice flat spot with no rocks on it. So we have these cameras on board in order to map out that space in front of the spacecraft and find a safe place to put our seismometer and our heat flow probe down. And then when we're done, uh, we will definitely, you know, take a look around and see what the, what the, the area looks like because it is, it is always so cool to find, you know, another spot on Mars and see what it looks like. So when can we? Um, when do you think we'll be getting some results coming uh, coming through? Well, uh, it turns out exploring the surface of a planet is kind of a slow motion process. It takes a long time to do things because you have to do things really carefully. You don't want to make any mistakes. So once we land, we'll actually have some pictures uh, within the first. Uh, the first few days, we'll have a, a set of pictures uh, coming down, uh, but it'll take us about another. Uh, two or three weeks to sort of map out that area in front of the spacecraft and decide uh, where we want to put our seismometer. Uh, we hope to get it down sometime, sometime uh, probably somewhere between Christmas and the and and uh, the end of January, depending on uh, how difficult the the location turns out to be, and have our heat flow probe down maybe you know two to four weeks after that. So. We're thinking about getting science data next spring is when we'll probably start getting it down. And then, as I said, you know, we need to accumulate uh, a number of, of Mars quakes uh, before we can start making any inferences about the surface. But we'll be uh, we'll be taking pictures before then. We also have a, a weather station on our on our uh, lander that will be uh, measuring the weather on Mars, which which should be very interesting, and um, also measuring the magnetic field of Mars. So uh, we'll be at, we'll we'll start to get some scientific data down pretty quickly. But in order to get to our main uh, goals of of understanding the the, the depths of the planet, that's going to take months to to, to years. To, uh, to, to finish up. Sure. So just as um, one sort of final question. So all things uh, go flawlessly. Everything works perfectly. What would be your dream discovery? 
Oh, wow. My, my dream discovery would probably be, you know, uh, once we have the seismometer on the surface and all checked out and, and everything is quiet, to have a, a really big Mars quake come along, you know, sort of a, a magnitude seven style Mars quake, which sets the whole planet ringing and uh, bounces uh, waves off the off the crust, off the core and uh, allows us to, to, to really, you know, get a, a, a really a precise picture of the the deep inside of the planet, which is something that uh, I've just been you know sort of trying trying to, to to work towards basically since I was in graduate school and and first starting to to, to try to to study the, the 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 activity on the surface of Mars, and I kept on just running up against a brick wall of not knowing how thick the crust was, which was. Uh, sort of a, a key parameter on, on in all my uh, calculations, and and so this is going to be sort of a, a, a lifelong uh, uh, a goal of mine, a lifelong dream come true, really, to to finally understand, you know, what the the, the thickness of the crust and the size of the core is on Mars, and I think, you know, the first time I see. Uh, uh, an encyclopedia article with with those numbers in it, and, and realize that you know this is it's uh, it's our mission that that actually you know generated those numbers. I think that's going to be, you know, just an incredible incredible feeling. That's brilliant. Well, thanks very much uh, for taking the time to speak to me, and uh, hope everything goes well with the mission. And um, I'm sure I speak for all of us when I say that we'll be following it very closely. Well, thanks for your good wishes, and uh, just. Go ahead and go online on, on November 26th. We'll be broadcasting uh, the landing live uh, from, from here at JPL. And uh, tune in and share the excitement with us. Will do. That sounds great. Thanks very much. That was Bruce Barnett talking about NASA's InSight Lander's mission to map the inner core of Mars. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast. In our December issue, which is on sale now, you can find out much more about the Mars InSight mission which will soon be arriving at the Red Planet. We also investigate the Gateway Space Station, which is currently under development. And of course, there's much, much more inside. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.